Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> our gospel lesson this morning packs a heavy theological punch. While St. Luke's account of the birth of Christ gives us rich historical detail, St. John tells us of Christ's divinity, shows us the real reason to celebrate this and every Christmas. For we learn much from Luke, but here we see that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The last verse of St. John's Gospel tells, the very last verse of St. John's Gospel, tells us that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written about the works of Christ if time and energy and resources allowed for it. That if we were somehow to know all that he has done, even in his short earthly ministry, we would run out of room and paper trying to record it. And how much more has he done since St. John wrote? The reality is that just these first 14 verses of his gospel have provided us with much to contemplate. What we should be meditating upon, marking, reading, inwardly digesting, and learning every passage of Scripture, there are few that are worthy of regular and persistent reading and rereading, for they tell us much about the gospel of grace. The nature of God and of humanity. Those passages include Genesis 1 through 3, Revelation 20 and 21. And of course, John 1, 1 through 18. So powerful are the words of John 1 that I suspect that someone could fill many books upon it and entire libraries as we wonder about the glory that it portrays. As this morning, I want to spend a couple moments talking about that last verse which we read, which J.C. Ryle writes, this passage of scripture now before us is very short if we measure it by words, but it is very long if we measure it by the nature of its content. John 1.14 contains this profound truth, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This morning, I stumbled across a video that was remembering the Christmas truce of 1914, that unofficial and momentary laying down of arms amidst the First World War. This brief lapse in fighting has long fascinated me and is beautifully captured in the French film, Jean Noël, about a th three fictional army companies of men on opposing side of the war who spent Christmas Day together and then returned to their trenches. As I thought about this clip and that movie, I thought about other popular Christian mo Christmas movies, such as the story of It's a Wonderful Life and Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, even. It is interesting 
how many of these stories end up centering around a humanistic theme with eyes on the value and goodness of humanity. If we were to react without thinking, we might find this frustrating that so many of them miss the incredible glory and amazement of the incarnation of our Lord. And I suppose that might be a fine reaction. But I think in a real way, they capture something important and intentionally or unintentionally pay homage to the incarnation. Last night, we saw a baby lying in the manger, vulnerable, innocent, completely submitted and dependent upon his parents. And yet we knew this baby to be the sovereign Lord, the King of Kings. This morning we read of the word becoming flesh. We read of the second person of the Trinity descending to become a man. And well, we want to take care not to rise man up above God. It is significant to note that we celebrate God condescending to us, coming down to dwell among us, coming down to take on real flesh, a real body, that humanity reflects God's love for us. So while these stories of human triumph may at times miss the point of the glory of God coming to dwell among us, it is worthy to note that they do capture the beauty of humanity, that God came to redeem. They capture what is beautiful about life and can draw us into awe of God's redemption. This humanity the created, is created in the image of God. God is, that God is restoring in us. It is humanity that God came to be a part of. And so while we reject the overarching claims of humanism, it is good to be reminded of the love and kindness which we are called to share with our neighbors. This day and every day. And it is good to be reminded about what is best about mankind. The Father manifested in his only begotten Son, and God came to redeem. In the midst of all this, St. Augustine then draws our attention to the putting on of the flesh and, the point, and poignantly pens. It is not right to say that any part was lacking in that human nature of Christ when he put it on, except that it was a human nature altogether free from the bonds of sin. When St. John wrote that the word became flesh, he inextricably linked John 1.1 with John 1.14. The word who is God put on flesh. The body of Christ, in the body of Christ, there were two natures, the nature of God and the nature of man. We cannot and must not mingle the two, nor may we reduce one or the other. Rather, while he was still God, Christ took on all of humanity in his body, except, as Augustine noted, our sin nature. But in this, in his fleshliness, he was able to redeem us. We have seen his glory. Many commentators agree that this has to do with the transfiguration. We tend to forget for a moment that Jesus was, that where Jesus, we tend to forget for a moment that Jesus went with three of his disciples to a hilltop, including St. John, 
And those three men literally beheld Christ being glorified. His glory testified to them, and they in turn testify to us, his true nature. St. Peter remembers this moment fondly and joyfully when he wrote, We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was, and the voice was borne to him by majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. In the transfiguration, the disciples saw Christ's glory. But the fact that they walked with him with the incarnate Lord is a testament to his glory as well. And we get hints that even on that first Christmas, there was that first night an exploding forth of the glory of God's heavenly host, an exploding forth of his heavenly armies, singing with joy that God himself in the second person of the Trinity had come down to dwell with men. St. Christostom and many others follow this note. The expression as, in the phrase, glory as of the only Son of the Father, is in this place, does not belong to similarity or comparison, but, confer, but to confirmation and unquestionable definition, as though he said, we beheld glory such as it was become, and likely that he should possess it, who is the only begotten and true Son of God and King of all. Christ does not lose his glory, though it is veiled, nor is he simply like God. Christ is God. Christ, born in a manger, born of the humblest estates, is the one true and living God, born to set the captives free. But we must take care here. We read of the Son of the Father, and this language can become terribly confusing. And again, St. Augustine helps us when he writes, Show me and explain to me an eternal Father, and I will show to you and explain to you an eternal Son. The great mystery of Christmas is the Incarnation. At some point, our ability to grasp it fully breaks down. Our human reasoning cannot reach the heights of God's perfect love, nature, and reasoning. And so we must step out in faith and trust that it is true, for Scripture tells us so. And we confess that Christ is Lord, King, and God, that he is the second person of the Trinity, equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that he is fully man and fully God. We do not and cannot know more, but how this confession causes our hearts to soar with joy. J.C. Ryle again nicely summarizes the final clause of our little sentence. The words full of grace and truth describe especially the spiritual riches that Christ brought into the world. When he became incarnate and set up his kingdom, he came full of the gospel of grace. In contra contradiction to the burdensome requirement of the ceremonial law, 
He came full of truth, the real truth, and solid in contradiction to the types and figures and shadows of the law of Moses. In short, full of grace of God and full of truth about the way of acceptance were never clearly seen until the word became flesh and dwelt among us on earth, opened the treasure house and revealed grace and truth upon his own person. In Christ, we become spiritually rich. We are adopted, as Gregory the Great writes, we say that the word was made flesh not by losing what he was, but by taking on what he was not. For the mystery of his incarnation, the only begotten, son, begotten of the Father, increased what was ours, but diminished not what was his. Because he lost nothing, but willingly humbled himself, we are not only freed from our sins, but adopted as sons and daughters. In the incarnation, in God the Son, born, of a, born a man, we are united to God the Father. We are freed from our sins. We are made richer than we could possibly ever hope for. In the incarnation, we become truly human. We can truly love and truly live. So let us ever be mindful of the incredible truth of Christmas Day, that grace which is found in the words of St. John, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost.